for Inter-Miami on Tuesday, but the manner in which the team reached the U.S. Open Cup's round of 16 left a lot to be desired. Phil Neville made that abundantly clear. Hello everybody, welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, an Inter-Miami-focused podcast providing you all the latest news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more. Oh, we also go by the name of Miami Total Football Radio. Of course, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Franco Panizo, and if I sound very upbeat and jolly, it's because today is my birthday. Yes, it's Franco Panizo's birthday, and I just refer to myself in the third person. Uh, Joining me, of course, today on this podcast is one of the other usual co-hosts, who goes by the name of Jose Armando, a.k.a. Cinco, a.k.a. Island Jose, which I really, really enjoy. Jose, how are you doing today? Hey, Franco. I'm doing good. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, I just want to make it clear from the start that this is something that will happen every year because Franco didn't want to record (laughs) on his birthday. So from now on, every year... We're going to record on your birthday. I'm going to make you work on your birthday. The American way, baby. No way. No way. Actually, last year, funny enough that you say that, coincidentally, last year was the first time I rang my birthday in while I was working because the clock struck midnight and I was still at the Drive Pink uh, Stadium press box filing after Inter Miami played, I believe it was CF Montreal, in that game that was rain delayed and thunderstorm delayed by several hours. So I think I think the game ended around 11.15, 11.30. We did the press conferences, and, and then we went back in, and I was still clacking away on the laptop as the as the clock struck midnight. Steve El Primo was actually to my left, and we, we actually got into a conversation about it. He was like, oh, but it's not your birthday yet. I think he wished me happy birthday, but then he was like, but it's not your birthday yet because you weren't born at midnight. And I was like... Yeah, but that's not how that's not how it works. It's not like if you were born at eleven fifty nine p.m. on the on January first, you only get one minute of birthday, you know. So anyway, we we had a, we had a discussion and a debate about that, as we usually do. Now, given that it's my birthday, I have a special surprise for you guys, the listeners. You guys ready? I feel like we need to do a drum roll. Okay, we have another co-host in the house. She's a photojournalist, a longtime photojournalist. She's also Jose's wife. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that correctly. She's also Jose's wife. Her name is Andrea Yanis. She covers the team regularly. She's with us there on uh, in the trenches on a regular, regular basis. Andrea, welcome to Miami Total Football Radio. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. Nice to be here with you. It's not nepotism, I swear. I got here <laughs> on my own. <laughs> And uh, thank you for welcoming me. Welcoming me, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about the team. And of course, I can't begin without uh, wishing Franco a happy birthday. Um, I hope you continue to be happy with this team, at least <laughs> with another win during the weekend. Well, let's see how Inter Miami does, and we welcome you. Obviously, Andrea. Jose and I, we're at practice on a regular basis. We have conversations all the time. Andrea, I will let you know from right now, listeners, is very, very opinionated, as am I. And as Jose sometimes is. Jose sometimes reels it in a little bit. But Andrea's more opinionated than Jose. It's funny because sometimes we have like discussions about 
about uh, about Inter Miami, and they'll both come at me sometimes. But sometimes Andrea and I will will team up on Jose in terms of his opinions. That's actually how the nickname Island Jose came to be. Andrea had a big hand in uh, in helping out with that. Now, by the way, you guys, you know we debate on this show quite a bit, so I don't want any arguments at home. This cannot trickle in to the lovely household that you guys have in in Miami because I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be a fault for any any arguments afterwards. Yeah, that's the one deal that we have to make before we uh, continue on with this podcast. Deal? Deal. Deal. Okay. But Jose has to agree with me. The <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about, and I'm going to we're going to try to do it as thoroughly as possible, but also try to do it in a quick manner because I do want to enjoy some part of the day uh, out and about not working. As, mu- as much as I enjoy having conversations about Inter Miami, I do want to go take my mind off of things for a bit and have a drink this afternoon with some friends and family. So I'm going to try to go through this very quickly. We have quite a bit to talk about. Tormenta FC, the, the Inter uh, Miami's win against Tormenta FC, excuse me. The next round opponent, which is Orlando City, we'll talk about quickly about the draw and that matchup. We'll analyze some of the individual performances from the weekend. We will also preview Saturday's upcoming game against DC United with national writer Charlie Bohm. And of course, the Q&A session at the very, very end. Okay, guys, you both ready? Ready. Let's do this. All right, let's get to it. Okay, guys, so as I mentioned before, Inter-Miami... Picked up a 3-1 victory on Tuesday night at Drive Pink Stadium against Tormenta FC, South Georgia Tormenta FC, if we want to go by the full name of that club. Now, Ariel Lasseter led the way with a brace. Robbie Robinson got a goal and a red card. And Kaziah Sterling got the lone goal late on for Tormenta FC. He scored in the 88th minute. I believe, based on what they said on the broadcast, he is Raheem Sterling's cousin, the Man City uh, attacker and winger. So, you know, I I wasn't able to verify that 100%, but that's what they said on the broadcast. Regardless, let's focus on Inter-Miami. They win, they score goals, but they didn't impress all that much. And obviously, Phil Neville, after the game, was very, very critical of the team's performance in a very candid and open and honest and uh, pretty refreshing, refreshing to hear him be so honest about the performance. So uh, at least that was my takeaway. Jose, let's jump into the game first before we dive into Phil Neville's post-game comments. What was your biggest takeaway from the match or what was your analysis of this game? Well, you know, I think it's it's just another typical cup cup game right you know i think similar scenario happened against miami fc um they were the better team but you know they had that one chance in the first half they did not capitalize and then second half it it was all inter miami i think you know against tormenta you have to give i think you have to give it more credit to tormenta because they were playing on the road and they created more chances in the first half than than miami fc did in, in in the previous game so but they were not able to score I mean, they had clear chances. They can very easily, uh, I feel said 5-0. They could be 5-0 in the first half. I think that's too much, right? I, I think it's maybe 3-2-3. Three, three. Um, but, you know, if, if, if Tormenta uh, scored early in that game, I think, you know, the, the, the result might be different. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Inter-Miami um, should be a, a, a better team. They, they did not show it. On, on the field in terms of the level of play, but they did show it 
in in terms of taking advantage of of those opportunities that they created and and they took it uh, um I think they the, the mistakes out of the back from from Tormenta did help a little bit as well. Um, Tormenta they were good offensively, but defensively those were big big mistakes. The, the first goal late in the first half comes after a bad giveaway in the middle, and you know that's something that you just cannot do against a, an MLS team. And 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 Nari Lasiter was able to score, and the game changed right after you know the first goal. It was basically all said and done. It was just too much for Tormenta. Uh, to think back on all the missed opportunities, and then Inter Miami gets one chance, and they score on you late in the first half. Ah, that scenario—it's—it's it's very tough for any team, and even more for a USL League One side. They did create the better chances in that first half. I mean, I don't think there's any ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's very—it was very clear. Obviously, Inter Miami finishes the first half up one to zero. But before I go to Andrea, these are the final stats of the game. Inter Miami. Lost the shots in the shots department, 14-7. Tormenta had 14 shots. Shots on target, Inter-Miami had 3. Tormenta had 6. Possession, Inter-Miami had 59. Tormenta had 41. And pass accuracy for Inter-Miami, 86%. Pass accuracy for Tormenta, 83%. But, like you said, from the run of play in that first half, Tormenta was essentially the only team creating anything. Inter-Miami gets their goal late on off of a, a turnover at midfield. Like you mentioned, two players, two Tormenta players went for the same ball and their momentum carried them away from the ball after they collided. And that left the ball there in the middle of the field. Inter-Miami hits back on a quick counterattack on Salah Higuain to Indiana Vasilev. Indiana Vasilev to Lasseter. Lasseter finishes with authority. I think it was to the near post, so maybe a bit savable, but... but but regardless, he uh, he scores and puts it away. 1-0. That deflates Tormenta quite a bit. Something that Phil Neville uh, mentioned in his analysis afterwards. And something I agree with. I think after that, you know, Tormenta, given the half that they had played, the chances they had created, they had one that was a glorious chance in front of goal that they blasted over the crossbar. And obviously, when you're that wasteful, well then, obviously, that, that can hurt you. So, and remind me, it was efficient. That's a plus. Three, chance, three shots on target, three goals. So... They get they get credit for that, but they did not play well. Andrea, I'm looking forward to your response here. What was your analysis of the game? And before you you uh, give us your take for you listeners, Andrea, as because she's a, a, a photojournalist, she sees the game at field level usually. Sometimes she's in the press box when when she's filling in for Jose, but most of the time she's on the field level, so she gets a different perspective. She picks up different things that are said or that she sees that maybe we don't get to appreciate as much or that we don't catch from uh, the press box level. So, Andrea, you were on the field. What was your analysis of that game? Well, the important thing for Inter Miami is that they got the win. You have to win no matter how or or how you do it. So that was the important thing. But um, the game was not a good game uh, on the first half. As you guys had said, I think Miami is struggling as they have been all season to create play through the middle. Miami is uh, there. Obviously, their their strength goes through the sides, right. through through their their, their wingers. Yeah. So um, I think that is the biggest problem for Inter Miami, and you saw it especially on the first half because they don't create play through the middle. There's a hole in 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 the mid in the midfield for Inter Miami, especially a hole in attack because um, you have you had Vasilev, you had Robert Taylor, you had uh, Ariel Lassiter and Emerson Rodriguez, but. Basically, these four players are the same. 
They are wingers. They are, uh, as we say in Spanish, volantes de ataque. And um, they they usually go through the sides, not through the middle. So I think that that is the, the worst problem that Phil has. Finding that player that can create that link between the attacking half of, of the team and the defensive half of the team. Because, of course, Mo Adams is a more defensive-minded player yeah. um, and doesn't create as much play. So in the first half, you saw there was a hole. There were no balls for Iwain when he was in the middle. Uh, uh, and he, there were no balls going through Iwain. Iwain has to come down and look for, for balls. So when you have Campana playing, it's a little bit easier, of course, because he's younger. But... When, when you don't have Campana and you have Iwain or you have another player playing as a nine, it's really difficult because a, a, that player has to come down and look for the ball because the, the, those players in the midfield go through the sides almost every time. So one, uh, the teams are expecting already Inter-Miami to play that way. So I think Tormenta did a good job defensively. They had a good block of, of defending uh, players. So I think that was the most complicated part uh, for, for the team. And Tormenta did a good job uh, defending, but as well did a good job finding those holes in the midfield because you have Vasilevi and you have Robert Taylor. Of course, they are attack-minded attack players. So, of course, the other team is going to take advantage of the holes that they leave when they, when, when they attack, when they go forward. And then you have Yedlin and you have Jones that are also coming forward. The team doesn't have a strong midfield to like get uh, get in line and defend when the, the other team uh, counters. So I think that's the biggest problem for Inter Miami, that hole that they have in the midfield and uh, that they play too much through the sides. Now, Andrea, you touched on an important element that I forgot, and that was the lineup. Inter Miami's lineup in this one was the 4-3-3 that we've seen, at least that they started with, Drake Callender was in goal, and the back four from right to left. DeAndre Yedlin, Jairo Quinteros, Christopher McVeigh, Jovin Jones. The midfield trio, Mo Adams was the six. Indiana Vasilev and Robert Taylor were the two box-to-box midfielders. The midfielders a little bit more advanced than Mo Adams. And then your front three from right to left, Ariel Lasseter, Gonzalo Higuain, and Emerson Rodriguez. Higuain came back into the lineup. We will touch on his performance in just a little bit. But going to your point, Andrea... Yes, the transition defense was something that Inter-Miami struggled with in this one and something that I mentioned on the pod with, with Primo on well earlier in the week that that was something that was concerning for me because when Inter-Miami leaves those spaces in behind when they do start attacking and trying to push numbers forward they tend to leave, as most teams do, spaces in behind but Inter-Miami's not that great with the ball so they tend to make errors or mistakes in, in bad parts of the field and then they don't necessarily always get back into shape. It, when they're when the other team has the ball, the other team is knocking it around and having possession, and Inter-Miami can get into its its block of seven or block of eight, depending on how Phil Neville wants them to play, there they tend to do better. They tend to be defensively more sound and solid. But when, they, when the game's a little bit more open, when there's transitions, they struggle. And they struggled in this one. Again, numerous chances for, for Tormenta FC. Drake Callender was called upon a number of times. He made two very, very good saves among the several that he had to come up with. One with his right hand that, you know, he didn't dive or, or fly to, to make the stop, but 
it's a it's a heck of a reaction save. If if you haven't seen it, watch the highlights on Miami Total Football's YouTube page because it's a heck of a save. Probably one of the best from Inter Miami goalkeeper this year. If his hand was a little bit more to the left or a little bit more to the right, that's a goal and Tormenta's up early in in that one. So Tormenta was absolutely the the better team from the run of play in that first half. They didn't finish, but they were the better team from the run of play. And that that obviously upset Phil Neville. I believe he had some choice words for the team, or maybe he had a message for the team uh, at halftime, ex- expressing his, his displeasure with what he saw. And like you guys said, we have to take note. Kudos to Ian Cameron and Tormenta FC for the valiant performance they put forth. Because we had Ian Cameron on in the preview pod, and he said they were going to be brave, they were going to try to play, and he stuck to that. He very easily as lower-level teams tend to do sometimes. He could have played very defensive, could have sat deep, looking to counterattack into Miami, who was at home, but he didn't. He tried to have them press at times. He tried to have them attack. They did. They should have scored, man. They should have scored. Not only that header that Drake Callender makes a fantastic save on, also that aforementioned chance that uh, it's at the top of the six-yard box, and their striker, I believe, got on the ball, and he shoots it, but he shoots it over the crossbar. You can't ask for a much better chance than that. And Jose told me when that chance was missed late on, that was the game. That was it for Tormenta FC because if they couldn't put that one away, they were bound to give one up at the other end and they probably weren't going to get another good opportunity like that. So Tormenta FC, the better team from the play, not efficient enough. Inter Miami was efficient enough and they move on. Now let's touch on Phil Neville's post-game remarks before we dive into specific players because he was very critical after the game. And very honest, uh, I I appreciated his candidness with with regards to the performance. It wasn't like in the Miami FC game where he was a bit more diplomatic, or and maybe maybe he was being honest then too. But he was saying, you know, it's just a matter of of getting through, and these games are not are not easy, and they're tough, and etc. 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 You know, he didn't really dwell on the performance even though they didn't play that well against Miami FC. And this one, he did dive into the performance and say that it was unacceptable. He said a lot of things. And if you haven't heard it, normally I would add the the clip here, but since we're pressed on time, just go to Miami Total Football's YouTube page if you haven't heard his post-game comments. Very, very honest and pointed remarks to the team. Jose, I'll start with you since you were in the room. What did you think of Phil Neville's post-game comments? Well, yeah, I did appreciate the honesty. Um, although, you know, listening to his comments just a few hours later in, in after training on, on Thursday, um, he dialed it down a little bit. You know, he took on the responsibility as well because of the changes that he needed to make in the lineup. But um, I think just overall that gives you a sense of, of what the standard is now for, for Inter-Miami or, or what Fields wants it to be, right? You know, when you have a performance like and especially the first half, I think especially the first half when you have a performance like that, when you get outplayed at home by a USL League One team, you need to have some sort of reaction, right? You, you cannot go into the press conference room and try to find excuses and talk about excuses or this was going this way or, or that. No, just take on that responsibility. Just know that you needed to be better. You needed to be the better team on the field. That did not happen. And, you know, something needed to be said about that. And and the one thing that, that caught my attention as well out of everything that he said, you know, it, it was about, you know, players that got opportunities, mm-hmm. players that got opportunities 
in that game. And, and he basically said that they, you know, they, they, they didn't take advantage of that opportunity that he gave them. Well, hold so on. We got we got we got we got well, let's let's be a little more specific with what he said. He said there's been players that have been knocking on my door asking for minutes and we've seen now and I'm paraphrasing but this is more more closely what he said and we've seen now why they haven't been playing and why they probably won't play on Saturday. So very very honest right. but very pointed pointed yeah. pointed comments. Who do you think he was talking about? Because some people are saying Iguain. I don't think Iguain was knocking on Phil Noble's door asking for minutes. I have a name in mind. Who do you think? Emerson. I'm with Andrea. Jose? Yeah, I agree with that. I was about to say as well, Emerson, because um, I, I think Iguain, and, and I asked him about Iguain just later on in, in the press conference, and he said he was okay. But I, I was thinking about that answer that he gave us. Just a few minutes earlier, sure, so I just sure, want to. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean that's the story, right? If he's talking about Iwain, and 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 it's good to have him clarify that. You know, it was not Iwain, it was not Drake Calendar. He talked about, I think, three or four players, and and he was okay with their performance. Uh, Adi Lassiter, I'm fifty-fifty on that one because, I mean, he sounded happy that he scored. But um, I'm not 100% sure that he was completely um, satisfied with with what he saw from, from Mari Lasseter. But Emerson Rodriguez, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And I think, I think also Jairo Quinteros. He's referring to Jairo and Emerson. That's true. That's true. Jairo Quinteros was not good. Was He was not good early in the first half. You know, it's a, there's a ball that goes through him. And, oh, my God, he looks, you know, just terrible. Timing wasn't there. Um, the ball passes right in front of him. He has no awareness that an attacking player is right behind him. That that was that was. I know, I know, you, did, I know you didn't like well, that. He doesn't play. That, right? He doesn't play. That is because of he doesn't have rhythm. The same with Emerson. So, hold on, hold on. I want to say Wait, wait, wait. Here. Hold on, hold on. Wait, one second. One second, Andrea. Because I, I, there's Jose mentioned that in the press box, and I, like, I didn't agree with him in the moment, and then when I rewatched the game again, I still don't feel... I guess I agree with you to an extent that yes, he shouldn't let that ball just go straight through. But he did have a he did have an attacker in front of him that he was marking, and he expected that that player to get the ball. That player misses the ball. He misses the control of the ball, and then it bounces behind Quinteros into the guy behind him, which should have been Yedlin's guy. So while I agree he should have stopped the ball regardless from coming through, even though the other striker didn't get it, and that's what he was anticipating. I can't give you the just oh well he didn't have he was you know he didn't have any idea that there was a guy behind him that that was should have been Yedlin's mark on that sequence from my analysis and, and Franco he's a national team player and, it's a and, national oh, team wait guys player. he had the say of the game because if Tormenta scored in the second half to tie the game when he took it out then we we would have been talking of another debacle. No, but I think that Miami. was. I think that that would have been. I think it was already two zero. It, it was one. yeah. It would have made it two one. Yeah, yeah. Because Robbie Robinson scored early. Oh yeah, two one is true. It's true. It's true. Okay. Now, the save of the game is Drake Callender uh, with that right hand. I am I am convinced of that. That's just I mean that's my opinion. But that right handed save off that near near post header, fantastic stuff yeah. from from Drake Callender. Now going to Quinteros and just the overall thing because I agree. I think Emerson Rodriguez one hundred percent is one of those players that's probably knocked on on Phil's door. That's not information. Just supposition. From my end and from our ends, unless the the lovely couple has a, has information that they haven't shared, but I, I believe Emerson Rodriguez was one of the players that knocked on Phil's door and was saying, you know, hey, I, I would like some more minutes. He's used to playing, right? He, he comes from Colombia, from Millonarios, where he was playing somewhat regularly, so 
I imagine he was one of those players, though we don't know exactly or for sure. Now, going to the talking point of the overall makeup of the team. The team struggled with the ball, without the ball, in those first 45 minutes. We can touch again in detail why in the attack, but the overall the overall point for me, and something Phil Neville did not say in his post-game press conference, in his post-game remarks, which didn't necessarily go well or go over well with some people, is that he did not take accountability for the lineup he put out there. Because that lineup, if you look at it, and we just mentioned it, we just named it, that team has not played together in a, in a meaningful game. And I can't imagine they've played very much in practice together either. That those, those 11 players have probably, I would probably say, or I'd be close to saying, they've probably never practiced together in full. Gonzalo uh, Higuain just came back. Indiana Vasilev just got into the team on on last Thursday. So I can almost, I'm not going to say, I can't guarantee it, but I would say this team has probably never practiced together as an 11 in training. And if they have, it's probably been one time. One time, and that was for a light session maybe, or a light session or two earlier in the week. Actually, probably just one, because Monday was the day before the game. So probably one at most, at most. So when you have a when you have this many new pieces playing together... There's going to be a lack of coordination, a lack of understanding, lack of chemistry, and I think that's what we saw. Now, Phil Neville did, did, I will give him credit, on Thursday, that training, he did take accountability, and he did mention, you know, he had to take some responsibility because he put out a lineup that obviously had not played together. So he did do it on Thursday, he did not do it immediately on Tuesday, which again, for some people, it didn't it didn't go over that well because it seemed like he was just putting all the blame on the player, something that we've said on this podcast is, is you know, is is something that we've criticized Phil Noble for. But on Thursday, he did he did take some responsibility for it. Andrea, I feel like you're chomping at the bit to say something, so go for it. Yes, I agree with that. That Phil should have taken responsibility, and I'm gonna tell you why. We're talking about Emerson. We're talking about Jairo. We're talking about those players that haven't had a chance and would be starting in any other MLS team. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't know if he'd be starting in any I am 100% sure. No way, Andrea. No way. No way. Yes, they would. They would. (laughs) They would. Jose, Jose, chime in. Jairo Quinteros played in the World Cup qualifier. For Bolivia, the last place team. The last place team. It doesn't matter. He played. He played. He would be a starter in any MLS. I don't know about any. Any is extreme. Any is extreme. Jose, I want to hear your thoughts on this. And if this leads to an uh, an argument for you guys later on in the household, don't blame me. (laughs) Um, No way. In any team, in every team, no way. No way. I I wouldn't say in every team. You think he would start in Nashville? No chance. No chance. No, there are some. You wouldn't think that Atlanta, now that Miles Robinson is injured, wouldn't want Quinteros in their team? Atlanta is one team. You said any team or every team. Well, but Atlanta is a good team. So imagine if you ask Atlanta now if they would want Jairo Quinteros, they would jump at the opportunity to get him. Sure, but that's Atlanta. That's one team, not every team. You said every team or any team. Yeah, I think maybe that's the problem with the statement. Not every team, not in every team. But well, there are several teams in the league in where... You in know what I meant when I, I, I said that. We are very literal here, Andrea. We're very literal. We need you to be correct in every literal sense of the word. No, I listen, I get it. He would start on... He was, it's lost in translation. What I mean is that he would be considered 
and he would be he would be an asset to a lot of teams in in the league. Also Emerson. So I want uh, to finish my point. I think uh, Phil was a little bit harsh because uh, we can deduce that he was talking about especially Emerson, but he was very harsh because in his lineup we we already discussed, but in his tactic formation. The team changed when Emerson and Ariel um, rotated. And the problem is that Phil has them very static. He doesn't give them he he doesn't give them the liberty to play. And when they got that liberty in the last part of the first half, the team changed because Ari rotated with Emerson and then the goal came from that side when he rotated. So That's I think true. Phil needs to be a little a little needs to have a little bit of more of, a, of an accountability because he has these players which I already told you, I think Indiana Vasilev, Robert Taylor, Emerson, and Ariel are exactly the same type of player. So he has these players very static in their position, in, in their tactical formation. But when he, when I don't know if he gives them permission, but when they take that tactical liberty of rotating like Ariel did with Emerson, Inter-Miami changes. That was so by I instruction, think- though. That was by instruction. They switched flanks by instruction. Phil Neville was looking for for an answer and solutions to, to what was happening on the field, and he did switch them. So that did come from Phil Neville's, Phil Neville's instruction. But, and so that gives me, gives me reason, because at first he tells them not to move. So they, he has them static playing, and he doesn't give them the liberty. Well, that goes to the point of Inter Miami being a very defensive-minded team under Phil Neville, right? They, they prioritize the defense first. They prioritize being organized and and you know set positions there's not many players like you're saying that have to your point that have tactical freedom to just move about as they please now obviously in in the modern day of of football only one maybe two players have that liberty usually in teams to just move about but you are correct in saying that inter miami doesn't do a lot of interchanging positions there's not it's a very structured very rigid terms of uh, positional play, right? They, they, they all occupy the same positions by and large. They don't really move in and out of their positions to, to create free-flowing soccer because that's not necessarily what Phil Neville is looking for. So from a like or dislike standpoint, I get the point. From a, is, you know, is it working or not? Well, I mean, obviously Inter Miami has been struggling this season, but this is, this is what the approach Phil Neville has gone with. Jose... Did you want to add something there before we dive into some some of the players um, specifically? Well, I, I would just add this. Listen, Inter Miami is a second to last place team, so when you move pieces around, you cannot expect them to be better. And when you put in players that haven't played a lot during the year, you cannot expect them to be um, a top side all of a sudden. But the reality is that they were facing tormenta. They were playing at home, and they needed to put a better effort out there. You know, regardless of who, who was on the field, I think that's that's one thing that was missing as well, mm-hmm. right? Phil Noble chalked it up to attitude. and, and... There, was, there was really no sense of urgency at all to start the match. And, you know, it was very important for them to get a hold of the game early on, score early, and, you know, force Tormenta to be more aggressive and open up in the back, that, that would have been the ideal plan, right? But it didn't happen. So I think, you know, overall, we're going to move on from this game because they, they are in the next round. They are in the next round. And in the Cup, that's all that matters. It doesn't really matter how you play. 
But if you want to be a little bit more critical, if you want to look um, into things like we do here, honestly, because, you know, we, we like to talk about this and, and, and people enjoy um, you got to analyze the game. Of course you have to analyze the performance. Yeah, so, look, so- soccer's game. not just about results. So soccer's different than the other sports in that way. It's not just about the results. I mean, Primo might say it's just about the results. I-, I wish he was on the podcast right now so we could ask him if this performance was good enough because against Miami FC, he said it was good enough because they won, which is a very, like I said in Spanish, resultaista way <laughs> of looking at things, a very just results-oriented. Okay, well, they won, so it must be good enough. No, clearly, I mean, Phil Neville even said it in this one, they won, sure, but it was not good enough. He even called it unacceptable. So I, w- I would love to hear El Primo's take on this one. Maybe I'll ask him later on next week when we come back on. Because next week we're going to have two shows again. There's another midweek matchup, although it's an MLS game. Uh, Jose, sorry, I interrupted you there. Anything you want to add to close out no, your thoughts? No, that, that was it. That was it. You know, it's just, again, it, it's it, it's only normal that, that the team struggles in the setup and and so many things but you know the desire to win the the energy the sense of urgency all that it doesn't really matter um who's on the field that needs to be part of inter miami every single game and that was not there um against tormenta so i think that's that's the one thing that we have to criticize the most absolutely because listen we've we've listen i've criticized me personally i'll put my name to it phil's phil neville for the lineup he put out there which he also again took responsibility for on thursday after the game, two days later. But the, also, the attitude and effort from some of the players was a bit disappointing. Yes, they might not have the movement synchronized yet because they're playing with a with a, a different group, a different lineup. But you still want to see at least a little bit more from some players. I thought Emerson Rodriguez had a very poor game. He came out at halftime. Gonzalo Higuain, non-factor. And, and then Quinteros and McVeigh didn't look great. McVeigh, who's been... Pretty, I would say, solid for the most part this year. Solid, not great, but solid. Even he had a very poor game. Again, I think that's a testament to just being part of a team that has never really played together or probably never played together for very much in the training session. Now, let's let's dive into specific players. Let's dive into specific players. I think we've touched on Emerson a good bit, so we can skip him. I think, I think we have enough there. I, although, again, I re- reiterate... Did not think he had a great game, and I thought it was a good move to pull him out. He, he continues to show flashes, but he has not been wow in any appearance he's made yet. Yes, he's been coming mostly off the bench, but he's also had a start here and there, and he has not delivered. Just had a few moments of, of impressive dribbling skills at times. Now, let's go to Iguain. Gonzalo Iguain, 45 minutes in his return. Again, I already said what I think. I'll go to Andrea. What do you think of Gonzalo Iguain? Uh, well, I think Gonzalo is a little bit out of rhythm. He's a little bit uh, struggling to, to come back to maybe uh, that game form that he had before he got injured um, and before he got that knock again in the game that he returned. I think he's he's struggling a little bit physically, but um, I think that lineup didn't help, as I told you at the beginning. It didn't help the way that the Inter-Miami plays. It doesn't help a striker like Gonzalo Higuaín because he has to come to get the ball instead of the ball coming to him. Um, so I think he struggled. I think it was a good call to pull him at halftime. Um but when he came out, we didn't see, like, a difference either. So uh, I don't think he has responsibility in this game uh, as how bad the team played, as I think it was uh, basically a tactical responsibility from the coach. 
Um, also, I agree with you guys that the players maybe could have given a little bit of more effort, but I don't think Gonzalo was a deciding factor in this game. He came out and the team continued. They like uh, got better a little percentage, but they weren't uh, a great team, even in the second half, even if they scored three goals at, at the end of the game. So... Um, I think Gonzalo is reeling physically. He's struggling physically, especially to get to get into that form, to get into to to being able to play 90 minutes, especially in a team that doesn't give him balls. And another another thing that I want to touch is how this team manages the the um, the corners and the and the free the free kicks and all of that. Attacking or defending. No, uh, uh, attacking. Okay, okay. This team set doesn't pieces, take advantage. Set pieces, yeah. I, 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 sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, Some I'm, things get lost in translation. That's, that's all good. But, it's all good. Let's keep following. That's why, that's why I was just giving you the assist there. Yes. Thank you, Franco. This team doesn't take advantage of that because um, there's not a player, a designated player to take a corners. And when there is, then you see Iwain taking a corner. What the hell is Iwain doing taking a corner? <laughs> And when you see another player, you see Yelling taking free kicks instead of Iwain when the free kick is in the front of the goal. So I don't understand that. That's one thing that Inter Miami needs to get better in because they don't take advantage of those balls. They don't take advantage of set pieces. They don't take advantage of that. So I think that needs to get better. And especially if Iwain is playing, Iwain needs to be um, um, taking charge of that. Because I think he has the best touch of all the uh, of the guys that were playing in in the first half. He has the best the best touch, the best feet, the best foot. He has the best foot, so he needs to take those balls. Uh, so so you... sorry that I went I went ranting, but I remember about that. And so basically, I think he needs to get a little bit fit. No, no problem. Listen, no problem at all. I like applauded you while you were saying that because I have banged that drum for two years and counting. Now back to the Diego Alonso days, back to Phil Neville's first season in charge, and I've started to bang that drum. I started to bang that drum this past weekend, and I asked Phil Neville about the lack of success on set pieces because they still have yet to score on a set piece this season, and they haven't. They have someone on the staff, set piece specialist. I, I talked about this on the pod over the weekend, so I won't. I won't dive into it again. But it's absolutely a facet of play that Inter-Miami needs to be better in. Especially if they're going to struggle with the ball from the run of play and be a counter-attacking team. And at times that might not be enough. You need to be better on the said piece situations, on the dead ball opportunities. Because that's 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 the formula for a counter-attacking uh, reactive team, right? Take your chances when you can from... from uh, transitions and then take your chances on dead ball situations, which Inter Miami hasn't done yet. So, 100% agree with you. Phil Neville did make a good point over the the past weekend after the Charlotte game that they don't earn that many corner kicks because of the way that they play. Okay, but they do get they do get some or a few, and they do get some free kicks as well. So they if they if they even if they only get a few, there's there's a premium then even more so for them to be better in that facet of play. 100%. 100% they, agree with you. 100%. And they get free kicks, and then they play the ball short. They don't take advantage to send uh, uh, the ball into the I don't area. Think they, I don't think they found... The, I don't think they have found... To dive into this a little bit more. I don't think they have found a good free kick delivery player. For one reason or the other, they just haven't found it. I also think that the movements in the box maybe... That's not the best. That hasn't been the greatest. Getting separation from players and, and, and being able to get away from your marks. 
But they've clearly rotated quite a bit. You can even go back to last year. At times Lewis Morgan took them. At times Gonzalo Higuain. At times Federico Higuain. It just was... They've never really found that player. And I don't agree with you there, Andrea, though, that Gonzalo should be the guy taking it. Because I've seen enough of his corner kicks and they, they tend to not make it into dangerous areas. They tend to be cleared uh, at the front post. They tend to be a little bit low for my liking. So I think that's why you see them rotate. That's why I don't think he's been the one taking it. I think we've even seen Bryce Duke as of late take take a few. Jose, anything you want to add with regards to Iguain's performance or do you, should we move along? Because we have, we have three more players to talk about. I'll just add one one little thing. You know, I think he set him off, setting himself off for failure again, again. I think uh, I don't know if he if if he has been able to play close attention to the games that Campana played, but you know the success of the striker for Inter Miami is inside the box, and he did it again against Tormenta. He moved back way too much. Way too much, and you know he's Iguain. physically not a hundred. Yeah, he weighing, and he's not a hundred percent. So you know that running back and forth did not help him at all. Um, I do agree that the team did not set him up inside the box, and he got a little bit desperate and moved back and went back to to his old ways in Inter Miami, which did not work early in the season, uh, and that's why Campana took over, and everybody wants Campana to be signed to a ten-year contract. But um, <laughs> oh, there's I that whole sarcasm. Uh, um, so yeah, I think you know he's he's not in in good shape right now, and he's not helping himself out. You know, he needs to stay inside the box, and and try to finish and and get a goal or two, bring that confidence back up, bring a couple of uh, fans on your side again, and you know maybe things will change. But you know, if if you keep moving back and back and back and try to run back and forth that's not going to work for him yeah. i understand his frustration because like we were saying at yeah the but he has to stay in the box under that he can't he can't just drop back because the ball doesn't get to him like he need like the this way this team plays they need their, their number nine in the box and i get he wants his touches yeah. and this and that but that that's just he has but they to have a hole franco they have a hole in the middle okay of the they field. have that hole in Campana plays too. That, you know what and i'm gonna say it here i don't care if fans get gets mad at me fans get mad at me because it's my first time but i'm gonna say here the perfect player for that hole right now will be rodolfo pizarro <laughs> el primo would be really mad. El, el primo would Forget be about yeah. the fans. el primo yeah. <laughs> he is the 10 that no he way, Andrea. Need, no way. But play no way. in a 10 position, no of way. course. He could take the free kicks. He could take the corners. That is the player that no this way. team is missing. I love Indiana Vasilev and all the energy he brings, but he is exactly the same player as Robert Taylor, exactly the same as well, Lassiter, that, that, that exactly the same as Emerson, Robbie Robinson. So we need something else. We need someone to spice up the midfielder. Or there you have Ascona. Give Ascona minutes. You need to look for some options because this team and everyone in this league and in this country has them figure out how they play. Uh, I told you all Andrea was very opinionated. I told you guys. So there, there, there you guys go. There you guys go. Listen, I don't agree with everything you said, but I understand your point, but I don't agree with it. Like, Pizarro and Iguain can't play together. We know that. Like so we've seen that. We've seen Iguain play as the nine. Pizarro as a ten, and it just didn't work. So I don't agree with that at all. But let's let's move on because otherwise we're gonna stay we're gonna stay stuck in the past. Robbie Robinson scores a goal. He comes off the bench at halftime. He scores a goal a minute, two minutes after that. But then later on in the game, he gets a red card for a physical altercation with the Tormenta FC center back Jake Dengler. 
Just your thoughts on Robinson's overall performance, starting with you, Jose. This is a hot topic for me. This is a hot topic for me. <laughs> but let's be quick. Let's be uh, quick because we're, we're starting to run long. No, I, I just want the podcast to keep on going until your birthday is over. No. Haven't you I noticed that? This podcast will not come out until Saturday if that's the case. And I'll I, do it. <laughs> I want you to work as much as possible on your birthdays. So give give me time. All right. So here we go. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I think, look, listen, I think Robbie Robinson, um, I, I think, you know, he can he can run a lot. You know, he's a, he's a you know, he brings energy to the team. Um, but I think um, the attitude that he came into the game on on Wednesday or Tuesday, was it? Tuesday. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was the right attitude. I mean, you know, he he's not even a, a real, really well-established player. And it looked to me from the press box, I could be wrong. Like, you know, he, he came with an attitude, right? I would say too much confidence. And then he started talking to the center backs and eventually after, and after he scored the goal, the celebration was just a little bit cocky and like, um, I'm the superstar coming in. I'm too good to, I have two minutes in the game and I already score on you guys. So I'm here, here, Robert Robinson, the superstar. Um, and then, you know, he started, he continued to talk, continued to talk to the center backs. And that was something that I watched. Uh, I watched him, you know, I don't know if it was banter or what what was going on, but there was a conversation going on with with the center backs, and eventually that led to the red card, which is something that I asked Field in the press conference, and you know he said that he was disappointed, and I was disappointed as well, because if you're going to pretend that you're the better player, if you're going to pretend that you're the superstar, you scored two goals in coming after coming into the match, then you know you you need to show that as well in some other aspects of the game. And he was not able to do that. I think that's a silly red card that might be costly to the team because, you know, they have a lot of games coming up, so they're going to need him without a doubt. So I was disappointed and, you know, just, I don't know if this is something, this is something that can be fixed, hopefully with time and when he has more games in, in as a professional. Now, there's another point that I want to touch on this. Because... Oh, no, 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 Because, again, we're running long, we're running long. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give my my part, and then Andrea, and then you can you can. No, I have it. to say this. <laughs> I have to say this. I really have to say this. He's 23 years old. He's not 16 or 17. So forget about Robbie Robinson being the young player, promising player, superstar in the next few years. He's already 23 years old. Nowadays, players that are 23 years old are no longer considered young. No way. You know, if you're 23 years old, you need to know exactly what you want to do with your career. So forget about it. Don't give me that. Robbie Robinson is young, and that's why he's he young got the in part. the American no. soccer. No, 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 hold on, hold on, no, 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 hold on, hold on. What's no island? No. What's no espera, island? Then? No, espera, 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 espera. Hold on, hold on. You guys didn't let me even finish. He's young in the American. No system because he's coming out of college and he's still in his initial years as a professional. But I agree with You're, you. I, I agree. Jose, Jose, I agree. Not young. Okay, Jose, I agree with you that he's not young in soccer sense. Because if you talk about a life sense, yes, he's young. 23 is young. But if you're talking about a, in the professional soccer world, 23 is on the younger side, but it's not young. Teenagers are young, 20, okay. Okay, I get your point. Anyway, let's go back to the topic at hand. Robbie Robinson's red card. 
I thought it was. I don't have your your interpretation of his goal celebration. I don't like. I don't. I don't share that. I think. I think he just put his arms up and, and celebrated it in that way because I I imagine that Phil Neville gave the entire team an earful because they didn't really celebrate like you know emphatically or it was just kind of like a very muted celebration not only from Robinson but from the entire team you know the players that they came and celebrated with him they came later on it wasn't like a big group thing like you normally see um, it wasn't like an explosion or a euphoria of of excitement so. I think it was a muted celebration. I don't. I don't read into it like it was an arrogant type of, of celebration. However, 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 the red card he got, and I, you know, there was maybe some jawing before that, and maybe there was some physical contact from from the center back. It was idiotic, idiotic, idiotic. Because it's not even on a soccer play. It's not even a soccer movement. It's it's not even him going for the ball. It's him just going into Dengler's face. And then getting shoved, and then trying to pull off a headlock, which automatically, hands to the face, hands to the neck area, hands to the head, that's an automatic red card. So he was gone from that moment that he did that. And look, we've been critical of other red cards in in the past, but at least those come from players making soccer plays. Trying to win the ball, trying to make a tackle, trying to prevent uh, a player from running in, you know... They might not be the best decisions, but they're soccer plays. This was not a soccer play. This was a WWE play, a wrestling play, and he got a, he got the rightful red card, as did Dangler. Both teams finished with 10 men. Very, very foolish from Robbie Robinson. Listen, you can get bloods, uh, excuse me, rushes of blood to the head. Things like this happen to even experienced players, but he absolutely has to learn from this because that was unnecessary in a different game. Maybe only he gets sent off because if you look at the replay closely, he's the one that puts uh, Dangler in the headlock, and then Dangler just because he's holding on to him drops him down. But Dangler doesn't put his hands to his head or anything like that. And I think that's what Dangler even says when he gets red carded. He's like, I, I, I was just headlocked onto the ground, and I just, I just went with him as part of the momentum. But regardless, foolish from Robbie Robinson, unnecessary. Although, although I will note this part, and maybe this is a silver lining. Maybe this is the, the slight and only positive you can get out of it. Here we we saw some fire from him because too many times ah, we have seen too many times we have said <sighs> Robbie Robinson doesn't show much on the field. He looks like you know he doesn't look like he cares. Like he's just going through the motions. At least here we saw some chispa, some chispa. That's the only little positive I could put in there. But again, I think yeah, it's foolish. I think absolutely. I said foolish, unnecessary, hundred percent foolish, unnecessary. The whole thing. I got you. 100%. There is a double stop. In this team, because if Emerson Rivaldo did this, Phil would go berserk in that press conference and call him names and call him that he's not ready, that he needs to go to the second team. There is a double standard because what Robbie Robinson did, almost 24 years old, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. And I was there in the field and he was behaving in a bad manner that not even Iguain, who is a star who had played who has played for Real Madrid and all those teams in Europe didn't do with these kids with this uh, Tormenta team Robbie Robinson was behaving badly and he needs to be reprehended by Phil because it's not only the red card it's his behavior of looking these kids down like he was doing all the team when he was talking with the defenders they he was uh, insults and all of that so the behavior from Robin Robinson in this in this game was bad. If another player did this, Phil would have been on top of them, calling them out. And I'm really disappointed to see that he didn't say anything more than, oh, 
But he did. Huh? He did. And the yeah, but he, did. He, he, did. He, he was like, okay, yes, a bad, but not a reprehension like I think he needed. So, you're call, so you're, what you're saying is that Robbie Robinson is el engreído de Phil Neville. Yes, there, say, there is a <laughs> there is a double standard because if another player did this, if el, Gonzalo el did this, if if it Gonzalo behaved in that manner, we, I have called Gonzalo out a thousand times, even with his teammates, with another with other teams in MLS. But Gonzalo in this match didn't behave like that with all those kids. Ariel Lassiter didn't behave with all those kids. He gave he gave them shirts at the end of the game, even Gonzalo. But Robbie Robinson behaved in on an acceptable manner since he went into the field and he's no star he's 24 years old and he's not proven let me tell you something franco vinicius is already is 21 years old and he's dominated in the champions okay, league that we're, is not a young we're not comparing we're not comparing robbie robinson so to vinicius at 24, we're not you to already need to be showing more than what he's showing. And I think it's a double standard. 100%. I'm with you there. I'm he's American. There. He came from the draft. I think people tend to, uh, like, cuidarlo, like, to say it in Spanish, because he, he came from college and he's American. But it's a complete double standard. If another player on this team did this, he would have been called out. If if all the red cards that this team has gotten in, on, on, until this point in the seasons were like this, I, I, I will bet you that uh, Phil Neville would have called on more than what he did to any other player on the team. Well, that's an assumption. I'll, I'll, that's an assumption. We don't. We don't yeah, know that's that. Though. We don't I'll, know that. I would add something to that, though. I would add something to that that would that would provide some, you know, it, it would be another element. I don't think, at least in the press conference when we were talking to Phil, I don't think he saw the full play, the whole thing, because when I asked him to, you know, what, what he saw in that play, he explained the last part. But not what we saw on video, but we were able to see on video on social media, which came out just a few minutes after it did, it, it actually happened. So maybe Phil saw that and maybe they had a conversation already about it. Because obviously, you know, as a coach, that's something that you don't want to see, right? Um, you're setting off yourself for trouble. So um, I would say that just to leave it out there as an element, because I don't think Phil was fully aware of what happened exactly before the the fighting started and that that led to the to the both the red cards so i'm i'm going to give Phil that um benefit of the doubt that, yeah that the okay. doubt because you know it it, it, it i don't think yeah he's, he's, he he was that. occupied with other stuff during the game <laughs> okay well, look, yeah. look 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 again i think we all agree it was un, it was unnecessary i think it was i think we're all on the same page there so He'll miss the next game, the Open Cup game against Orlando City, although he will be available for selection this weekend, I imagine. Although he, he came out to practice on Thursday a little bit after most of the team. I don't know if he trained individually because by the time he came out, it was time for the media to, to walk out of the, the open part of tr practice. So Phil Neville said he hopes that Robbie Robinson is available for the weekend. So we'll, we'll keep an eye I on think that. He could help Robbie Robinson to mature. I think that that is what... Look, look, look. Phil, Phil Neville did say something on Thursday that was interesting, and I don't want to dive into it on this pod because we're, go we're already going very long. We're going to have to shorten the Q&A session as a result. He did, say, he did say something along the lines of... And it, it is a... I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but it's a generational thing and something he touched on about how people nowadays don't like to be told the truth and that they like to be... Uh, 
he didn't use this word, but coddled for lack of a better lack of a better word that they like to be told, oh, you know, it's okay, it's you know, it's not, it's not, it's not this, it's not that, and he went into detail in this. Now, was he talking about Robbie Robinson directly? I think he was just making the general point that you know, because the reaction to his post game remarks were that, oh, how could he say this? How could Phil Neville say that about his team? And you know. So I get where he's coming from in that sense. He was being honest. The team played like crap, and he and he called he called them out. Should he have taken some blame in the immediate aftermath? Yes, and I think that would have maybe helped him out in in that sense in the in the in the public's eye. But his point stands. The team played like crap, and and that and that's what he was saying in the, in, in his post game press conference. Okay, let's wrap this up on a more positive note with two players that played well. Ariel Lasseter, well maybe not play well, but they did better than most of their teammates. Ariel Lasseter and Drake Callender. Again, thought Drake Callender continued to play very well. Phil Noble said afterwards, he, you know, Drake Callender is now pushing Nick Marsman for the number one spot with the level of performances he's put forth. Nick Marsman missed training yet again on Thursday. He's questionable for the weekend. I imagine he's not going to be ready for the game against DC United. So Drake Callender, I think, will get the start again. And Ariel Lasseter scores two goals, his first two official goals for Inter-Miami. The... The second of which was a a great burst of speed on a on a counterattack. Got a bit fortuitous there with the finish as it deflected before going into the well, not into the back of the net, hitting the crossbar and then going over the goal line. So Lasseter gets his two goals. What were your thoughts on his performance and quickly on Drake's? I just gave mine, so we'll start with Jose Andrea and then we'll wrap up this first segment. Um well you Quickly, know, I Jose, think, quickly. Yeah, I think I Adi I'm I'm happy that he scored. But uh, I think the overall performance, I think he can do better, you know, with, with passes and, you know, running into space and being a little bit more decis- decisive inside the box. I think he needs to be better. Uh, I think the finishing of both goals, it wasn't clean enough for me. Um, but, you know, I think he scored and, and that's something that is going to help him without a doubt moving forward. And on Drake, um yeah, well, you know, I think he's one of those players that is taking advantage of the opportunity, yeah, right? You yeah. know, Marshman is not available. Um, he's getting the minutes, and and whenever he's required to to make a save, he has been able to do that so far. And I think he, he, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have named Adi Lasseter player of the match, but I know goals, you know, those those are the ones that make 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 the money. I would have named Drake Callender the man of the match against Tormenta because of what he did in the first half. If, if he doesn't make at least two saves. And and Tormenta scores those two goals. I mean, Adi Lasseter means only we're going to extra time and maybe penalties. Right. So Drake Callender, great effort. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, uh, look, look, before Andrea, sorry, uh, I told him that when he was on as a guest in the last podcast, is that you know the goal scorers get all the love. Leonardo Campana was voted man of the match after the Miami FC game, but the real man of the match was Drake Callender against Miami FC because he came up with very big plays to allow Leonardo Campana's goal to be the winner late on in that match. Andrea, quickly touch on these players, and we will wrap up this segment. I agree. Jerry Callender has been the highest point, the the best point of Inter's Miami's run in the Open Cup this year. He has been the best player on both games, and um, I think he is deservingly uh, the, the second, like, 
in in the order of the goalkeepers because he has done a good job and I think he needs to take advantage of now that that Nick is injured to to maybe fight for the starting position so I think he deserves it he has done a good job he has been the best player for Inter Miami in, in the U.S. Open Cup definitely and Ariel well I think Ariel um, well did good I I know like Jose says he can do better I I liked when uh, when he's not static. I already told you this. I like when he gets that uh, freedom to move from side to side. And uh, I liked also um, some plays that he did with uh, Jovin Jones that I think were good, that I think they could play together well. Um, and it could be good for, for Inter Miami. So I think he can get better, but it was just uh, okay this game. And I agree that Drake Allender should have been man of the match on both games. And he deserves to start on the weekend. Yep. So that I think we are in agreement with. I did see an Ariel Lasseter that really, really, even though the result was decided late on, he was really, really pushing for that for that third goal. He wanted that hat trick. He wanted to get a hat trick very, very badly. And when the press conference ended and he was walking out of the press conference room, I even asked him very quickly. I was like, "How bad did you want that that third goal for the hat trick?" He goes very badly and, and then that was it so it should be good for his confidence going forward now that he's gotten those two uh those two goals to open his 2022 account officially but let's leave it there we'll take a quick break we'll come back after this and we'll preview inter miami's next game against dc united with charlie bohm we will do that after this i thought the performance was unacceptable uh totally unacceptable for a team uh, into miami uh full credit to to the opposition thought they played fantastic, deserved to win the game, deserved to be in the next round of the hat with their attitude and performance, particularly in the first half. We could have been five down. Uh, so uh, unacceptable. Uh, players got opportunities tonight that that have been asking and, and banging on my door to ask for opportunities. Uh, tonight we saw that the uh, probably why they've not been playing and why they won't play on Saturday. Uh they know they've dropped their standards. We, we've we we feel even in in the last two results their performance levels, but in particular their attitudes have been outstanding. And uh, tonight there was tonight was all about attitude. When you play these teams, it's about attitude. It's about doing the basics well, uh, and not just thinking you can just turn up and just roll over a team that's highly motivated. That's their cup final. That's got a really outstanding coach. Uh, and we were we were left. Even though we've won, I feel I feel as if we left. Uh, I, I feel embarrassed with our performance. Uh, harsh words, but true. Sometimes you need to tell the truth, and that's how I felt during the game today. Okay, everybody, it's time to preview Inter Miami's next game, which is on Saturday night against Eastern Conference opponent DC United, and the special guest that is joining us this week to help preview the match from that market is Charles Bohm, who I call Charlie. But his name is Charles Bohm, a Washington, D.C.-based freelance journalist who serves as a national writer for MLSsoccer.com and a columnist for USsoccerplayers.com. Charlie, how are you doing today? It's great. Great to be with you, Franco. And, and uh, Charles or Charlie, anything works fine, everybody. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, we, we go way back. We go way back. I remember hanging out with you and having a fun night in Brazil during the 2014 World Cup. But not just you, it was like a, there was a throng of uh, inner, not inner Miami, a throng of MLS and U.S. soccer, U.S. men's national team reporters in Sao Paulo for the World Cup. And I remember we had a good Friday night out. I think that was like our only Friday that we were like free. I don't know if, I forget if the U.S. men's national team didn't have practice the next game, next day, or there was, I forget what it was. But I remember being on some strip in Sao Paulo and us having a good fun Friday night as a, as a group. Because besides that, we were working 
I think 90, 95% of the time in Brazil. Yeah. Working or flying, right? You, there was, that <laughs> there was, was a lot that of That was like the, the most incredible jet setting across Brazil schedule you could ever imagine. And, and here we are nearly eight years later. Can you believe it? Yeah, man. Time's flying. Time's flying. You know, we, we talked off, off the mic about your family and your growing, growing little girl who's not so little anymore. So incredible how, how time has <laughs> flown by. That was eight years ago, which is the last time the U.S. men's national team's actually been in a World Cup. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, but let's let's talk about DC United because that's what I hope the listeners will learn something from you about. And let's start with what have we seen? What have you seen from DC United so far this season? They are in tenth place in the Eastern Conference, four wins, five losses, zero draws, no ties, and they have scored twelve goals and given up thirteen. So very up and down. They've gone through a coaching change. Hernan Losa is no longer the manager at DC United. Interim head coach Chad Ashton is. So Charlie, it's been a pretty eventful start for DC United. What can you tell us about their season so far? Yeah, safe to say it's been. Uh, I know Inter Miami fans have have gotten used to drama. I would imagine um, over that club's short life, and uh, it's it's been an eventful. Uh, interesting year in the way that's um, maybe more of a curse than a blessing here here in uh, in DC. Uh, yeah, so you know the things have a lot has changed over the just you know what are we barely a quarter of the way into this, the regular season and, yeah. and there's already been a lot going on here. Um, you know Hernan Losada arrived last year as um, really a breath of fresh air, start of a new era. You know f- the first sort of true coaching change in a decade. And he's the at the time he was the youngest coach in the league by two years I believe, uh, very charismatic, uh, multilingual, um, and with a very kind of assertive personality and this aggressive, high pressing, um, kind of Red Bulls esque um, you know game model that got people excited and, and got people um, you know interested in the product again and and even though. They had a lot of trouble staying healthy. Um, his styles proved to be very you know, physically taxing. Tons of injuries. They really kind of um, cratered down the stretch. They'd been in, in the uh, playoff places for much of 2021, and then kind of dropped out at the end as they ran out of gas and, and healthy bodies. But it was generally coming into this year. There was a lot of optimism around the fan base, um, in the sense that you know there was there was a, an identity here. There was a clear ethos. And the question was going to be just how could they improve that and, and become a better version of themselves and what would the front office do to, to bolster the Losada way with signings and acquisitions and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, it took a while for it to come out from behind the scenes, but there was almost from arrival, but but definitely going back to last summer, there was a little bit of friction, I think, inside the club in terms of um, Losada's relationship with the decision makers above him, with ownership. Um, his approach, he had sharp elbows is kind of a phrase I've used a few times. Um, and some of that I think was him being, uh, you know, Argentinian coach, yeah. you know, sort of a, a Latin American mentality who had also spent a lot of time in, in Belgium and, and had a, had been in, you know, the, a big European league. And his, his approach was, look, I mean, if you don't like what I'm saying, like, this is just how things are done around the world. This is right. what it, this, I'm modernizing the club. And, and he would, you know, lobby in the media very publicly, um, publicly urging the club to spend more money, spend more on not just signings and um, transfers, but also you know upping the the investment off the field as well. You know they were they were already in process of building, and, and it, while he was coach, moved into a new training facility out in the exurbs in Northern Virginia, um, and then and you're just continuing to kind of push 
and push. And, and as we found out later, he was antagonizing people. Um, he was also um, treating players in ways that, you know, sort of bordered on abuse or maybe even crossed over the line, depending on your perspective, in terms of a real fanatical emphasis on fitness, um, weight, you know, checking in on weight, body fat. I mean, really taking things to an extreme. And just this week, um, even, you know, Losada has been gone for a few weeks now. Um, but Chris Seitz, who was the backup goalkeeper last year, um, spoke out um, very powerfully on Twitter this week about kind of the mental health problems he had and the, the anxiety and depression that that Losada's approach sort of pitched him into and it kind of hastened the end of his career. He retired in January. So, you know, we're still sort of picking through the wreckage of the of the short, um, interesting Losada era. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, the the last few weeks, I mean, the idea is to have a much less explosive personality as head coach, who's Chad Ashton, who's the interim, who's a, uh, been an assistant going back more than a decade. He's done it before, right? He's done the interim thing before, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He served a, a, on an interim basis after Ben Olsen um, was fired uh, in the late stages of the 2020 season. Yeah. Um, and got, you know, got results, got a, what was a kind of a dead in the water team, um, got a few results out of him, and, and it came down to the last day. They almost squeaked into the playoffs having really had no chance of that a month or two before. So, you know, he was, um, the idea is a safer set of hands in, in leading things, but the same ethos, the same uh, tactics and style that Losada brought in and just try and, uh, and smooth things out. Now, what have you seen on the field from the group now with Chad Ashton as the head coach? Is it still that high-pressing style, or have they changed tactically a little bit with regards to, obviously, how they play on the field? Yeah, it's it. He he wants to do he wants to do things like like Losada did in the sense of um, you know being direct, uh, pressing high, not necessarily all the time, but most of the time, mm-hmm. for trying to force turnovers. They they do make pretty patterns when they're playing well, and they can kind of pass and move and stretch the opposition. Um, but you know, physical intensity, aggression, getting stuck in, sort of dictating the tone of a match. That all is still there, and the idea is to is to maybe just take a, take fewer risks. Um, you know, try and tighten up the defending a little bit, and it, it's been mixed results. I mean, they they um, uh, they got a great result against New England. You know, uh, upset what I would still consider an upset, even though the Revs have been struggling this year. Um, last month, um, but they got they got beat pretty soundly on their trip to Columbus. Uh, rebounded last week with a, a home win over Houston, and, and really the big story, sort of the the, the storyline that's drowned out all the, any kind of talk of tactics for now is the arrival of Taxi Fantas, who's uh, the newest designated player, uh, a Greek player who came in from uh, Rapid Vienna, who was originally, he was going to play out his contract in Austria and join in the summer. DC paid a reported $400,000 to to get him out um, of Rapid early, to get him in sooner, before the current MLS transfer window closed. And he even, um, he antagonized his old club by effectively, as best we can tell, refusing to play until they, they signed off on the deal. Um, but he, you know, he's he's been a, a a breath of fresh air. I mean, he he came in. Um, I don't think he scored on his debut. I think he started as a substitute. But he has come in and and been that sort of sharp finisher um, in the box to to turn the 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 possession and and the chance creation into goals. Um, and so right now, I mean, we're still in the honeymoon. You know, he's only played a few games, mm-hmm. but he's been he's been a real spark. Uh, now you beat me to one of the questions I was going to ask you by by touching on him there a little bit, but. Who are some of the key players for DC United going into this game? If, if let's say there's Inter Miami fans that are not familiar with DC United, almost at all, 
who would you mm-hmm. say are the key players to keep an eye on for this week? Who are the most important players that Inter Miami fans might see on the field on Saturday night? Yeah, well, uh, Julian Gressel, who uh, you know made his name at Atlanta and then got um, got the big contract he was looking for and has become a, more of a centerpiece since he arrived in D.C. a couple years ago, is a big danger uh, wide right. Um, his delivery, his set piece delivery, and his crossing is some of the best in the league. Um, and he's been uh, he had a tough tough start to his DC United career, um, but has rebounded more recently and is is a is a danger I think. And they've got um, we talked about Fantas a little bit. Um, um, Michael Estrada is an Ecuadorian international who's in on loan, uh, who's up from Mexico, and with a uh, I think it's a loan with an option to buy. Uh, kind of a big, powerful striker with a little bit of a, a little bit of of, of um, elusiveness and, and guile to him as well. Um, and then um, uh, Edison Flores, who is uh, one of the highest paid players, if not the highest paid player on the roster, but a, a designated player, um, costs them, I think, somewhere around $10 million, a complete package to, to bring him in a couple years ago. And has largely been a disappointment. A, a big yeah. part of it is his, his injury problems. Um, but he's back on the field seems to be you know you we're waiting with Flores the question has been you know staying healthy and then staying in form at the same time and um and we'll we'll see how he continues to kind of build relationships with Fantas and and find his form talented player but much left still to prove uh here in DC and then behind them you've got um you know some some steady Eddie types Russell Knauss is a, a holding midfielder who again on on top form can be that elite number six Steve Birnbaum anchors the back line. Brendan Hines Ike, um, a U.S. player who's who came over, came back home uh, after spending the first part of his pro career in Belgium. Um, Brad Smith was acquired from the Seattle Sounders over the winter to provide width down the left as a kind of a wing back to 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 balance out Gressel. Um, and then uh, we're we're going to have to see how how things are going with Bill Hamid. Um, again, he's he's one of the longest serving, most familiar faces around the club in goal yep. when he is fit and healthy and in form, he can steal points and has often been asked to do that be- because of the, the openness of the style that the club has played. Um, but he's been dealing with injuries this year as well. Yeah, Andy Nahar is also one I would say to keep an eye on just because I remember last year in the games that Inter-Miami played DC United and he had a he had a, a good time out there on the field, especially in one game here in South Florida where I remember he was doing all types of flicks and tricks and he had a monster, monster game. Now, going back to Edison Flores because obviously I'm approving ascent and I... <laughs> don't I don't uh, shy away from talking well about when Peruvian national team does well and when a Peruvian player, generally speaking, in MLS or out of MLS does well. But obviously, can't ignore the fact, and we will talk about the fact, like you did, about Edison Flores, who's a designated player on this DC United team, someone they paid a lot of money for in 2020, like you mentioned. But the numbers aren't great. In his two seasons and change, he's played in 37 games, Made 29 starts, only two goals, both of which came last year, so none this year, and eight assists overall, three in the first season in 2020, five in 2021, zero this year. Why? Mm. I know you touched on it a little bit, but if you could dive a little bit deeper, why has Edison Flores maybe, in your opinion, not panned out, at least until now, the way that DC United had hoped for and the way I'm sure he envisioned and I'm sure the way that Peruvian fans expected when he came over from, uh, from Mexico? I mean, in retrospect, maybe you could argue that he had too much uh, piled on his shoulders because it wasn't just that this was a seen as a, an elite player, a guy who could be the number 10, whether working centrally uh, or out wide and kind of be the, the, a creative force um, and feed 
you know, guys like Estrada and Ola Kamara, who I should also mention, who's a, a very proven MLS goal scorer who's been around here in D.C. for a couple of years, despite getting shopped um, on the trade market last winter. But, you know, Flores was also seen as someone who could maybe connect with the substantial Peruvian American community, you know, here in, in the DMV area. Yeah, they had, they had that video of him going to get Pollo La Brasa, which is, which is rotisserie <laughs> chicken, Peruvian rotisserie chicken. But they had a social media post on DC United's Twitter handle, I remember, when he signed of him going to get some Pollo La Brasa and signing a, a jersey with a couple of fans. But as, I apologize for the, for the interruption. I just, that just popped into no, my head. No, no. I mean, it's, it's an important context because – Really, from really since it launched, since DC United launched in 1996, one of the questions has always been, you know, how can the club connect with the Latino populations here, which are dominantly Salvadoran um, and Bolivian, with you know, with plenty of other Latino representation, but those two populations are are the biggest numerically, at least as best we sure. can tell. And uh, at some years, especially in the early years, when players like Raúl Díaz Arce was around, Echeverri Moreno, you know, these iconic names from the the early years. It's been a. It, it's really added to the size of the crowds, the culture that you see in the stands. Things have gotten, I'd say, less diverse. Things the the crowds have gotten sort of gentrified uh, since they moved into Audi Field in 2018. I mean, the price of a game goes up. The the, the question is, you know, how are, could they be doing more, right? And so Flores was seen as an important step both on the field and off in that way. But he just can't seem to stay healthy. And then when he is healthy, you know, he seems to go too long without finding his rhythm. And and I hate to blame a player because you know that's that's such a uh, that's such a fraught area for you know fitness, form, confidence, rhythm. All those things are so important. And and then he's also at times been called away at inopportune moments in that process to uh, to national team duty. So, um, but I think he's 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 got to still be hoping that he can come good, that he can maybe you know get into the conversation, get, become a bigger part of the national team picture. Um, and prove that he's, you know, he's been a worthy investment. But so far, I mean, we're, we're pretty far down the line in, in, in his time, and I, I don't know what, what his plans are, how things are going to work out, if he'll be asked to stay. But he has definitely not, um, you know, shown value for that. And, and that's, you know, at this point now, it's been enough time that, that you, have to, you have to start to ask tough questions if he doesn't get it together this season because he, he is still very much needed. And, uh, and this is not a club that spends a ton of money. Even, you know, one of the things that the fans are, are stewing about uh, in the wake of Losada's departure was um, the the managing partner and, and one of the owners, Jason Levy, and basically he's the chief executive of the club, right. saying, you know, telling, I think, I can't remember if it was the Washington Post um, or maybe it was The Athletic, basically saying, you know, we're going to be middle of the pack spending in MLS, but we're going to be targeted and strategic in our spending and so forth. And this came out right around the same time that it was reported that the ownership group was also taking interest in in purchasing the Washington Nationals baseball team. Which plays uh, across South Capitol Street from Audi Field, and so to to for them to be talking about you know modest spending on the salary side while then flirting with sort of a billion dollar acquisition like that, I think that really sort of for a lot of the hardcores that ruffled was some like, feathers. Yeah, that was a clangor, right? Yeah. You know, to have those things happening together, and then in the wake of that, they kind of punted on this week's Open Cup game. They had the New York Red Bulls come to Audi Field on Tuesday. And Chad Ashton elected to, to call up some guys from the second team and basically play a, a B or B minus team uh, against a strong Red Bull side. And they, they got beat three nil at home as a result. So all that, you know, doesn't have the vibes um, at, at ideal levels here right now. Sure, sure. I, I, and going back to Flores, he's never really had a tremendous stop at any point in his career. Maybe you could say Universitario, which is where he started in Peru. But by and large, his club career has, hasn't been exceptional. He's bounced around a few different places. He went to Aalborg in Denmark, 
didn't really shine there. Went to Monarca Morelia, which is where he came from before signing to MLS. Did okay there, but not exceptional either. <clears throat> and now he's obviously struggling at DC United. And I don't know if you know this or not, but with Peru, he's played well. And a large part of that is because of the goals he has scored. They call him in, in Peru, el de los goles importantes, which means the one that scores the important goals. Because even in a lot of those games, he doesn't transcend. He's not necessarily playing exceptionally well, but he found the habit with the Peruvian national team of score of popping up and scoring very important goals, even when he wasn't playing at his absolute best. So maybe, maybe going with him as a designated player Maybe that was not the right decision. At least, you know, that, that, I'll, I'll go in, ahead and say that. I'll, you know, I'll put my, my hands to the flame on that one. It's just my opinion, my, my analysis. Charlie, to start wrapping to start wrapping up. And, oh, by the way, it's Florida's his birthday on Saturday. So, you know, he'll, he'll be motivated. <laughs> you know, we'll see how it goes on, for him on his birthday during the game. But anyway, to start wrapping up, Charlie, what kind of game should we expect from DC United on Saturday night away from home? Because Inter-Miami... Anyone who's listening to this podcast that's an Inter-Miami fan knows very well that Inter-Miami is not a team that is all that comfortable with the ball. And we saw that once again on Tuesday night against Tormenta FC in the U.S. Open Cup game. Yes, it was a different lineup, but it's just the latest example of a team that does not look comfortable with the ball. They couldn't break down Tormenta FC really up until a late uh, turnover late in the game. Their strengths are in the counterattack, hitting in the spaces that are left open, once the other team comes at them a little bit and leaves themselves exposed. So, from what you've seen of DC United, I know you don't have the game plan, but what do you expect mm-hmm. from DC United? Do you expect them to try to have some of the ball, to fight for the ball? Do you expect them to sit, try to sit back and counter themselves? How do you see DC United approaching this one? Yeah, so there's a, a few things here. I mean, I think they the their preference in general is is DC's is, is to be assertive, is to to grab the game by the neck and and try and dictate terms. Um, it's interesting, you know, reading um, since Phil Neville's been in Miami, uh, there's I think there's a perception that that they're a tougher out on the road because they're more comfortable sitting deep and being reactive and, and hitting on the break, you know, when they're on the road. Yeah. So, you know, then my question then in a situation like this, you know, are they going to try and exploit DC's aggression or do they want to be more, you know, expansive themselves and um, and take chances and, you know. Maybe they've got a bit more confidence um, on the back of that, you know, the few positive results they they put together last month, Inter. So I think, you know, I think United is, and the fact that it's a night game, so you know, there's, I think teams that travel to South Florida are often concerned about energy levels in the uh, the tropical conditions. But assuming that it's, you know, not unseasonably uncomfortable and humid and hot, I think United's going to want to go go and get it. I mean, they should they should have no complaints. Uh, about freshness, you know, the most of the starters were rested at midweek, and, uh, and you know they they have some things to prove. I mean, they've they've got a hole to dig out of. Um, there's, I, I think we're still, you know, Ashton has been effectively, officially, but not officially um, named as the interim for the season. I mean, it seems that unless things really go badly, he's going to have this year to prove that he can be the guy on a permanent basis. Right. But, you know, anytime you have a change, you know, there's a mix of, of player situations. There's going to be there's players that are that are playing for their jobs. Right. Whether it's now or down the stretch, um, they're looking at another season of change if things go bad. As <laughs> a force. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I mean, that's another one. And remember, too, D.C. has an, an open designated player slot. Mm-hmm. They've given some mixed signals, but they they have said at least um, repeatedly this spring that they want to use that in the summer window. They want to yep. bring in a, a high level attacker. 
Uh, Losada was lobbying for that, you know, before before he was fired. But it, uh, you know, there there can be changes in the summer window if things aren't going well. And again, given how the fan base is right now, I think everybody around the club should have uh, sh- should be on the edge of their seats and should feel the need to make a positive impression over these next few months as we start to get into the you know before the dog days arrive. Absolutely. So we'll expect DC United to try to have the ball and try to be protagonist in this one with the ball. They, they won't look to, to counterattack in, uh, necessarily. I, I don't expect Inter Miami to try to do that. I don't expect Inter Miami to try to come out trying to dictate the tempo. They know what their strengths are. Phil Neville knows clearly that they're a counterattacking team. Sure, they'll have their moments where they will have possession, but I just don't see them looking to go toe-for-toe with DC United. Um, unless DC United doesn't want the ball, then it's two teams that don't want the ball um, fighting to not have it. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Charlie, before I let you go, I have to ask you for a very special request that I ask all our special guests to do. And that is to say the name of the show in Spanish. Obviously, in English, it's Miami Total Football Radio. But in Spanish, since we're in South Florida, we say Miami Total Football Radio. With the R's rolled and everything. And I know, I, I believe you speak some Spanish, so I think you can do this. I think you can do that. I think you'll fall well in the pecking order. But Charlie, give Oof. us your best Miami Total Football Radio. Miami Total Football Radio, that's my practice. Is that, do I have it right? Yes, do you I got it right. That, that, right. that was good. That was good. Okay, you, that's you should have su- submitted that as your, as your final. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm, I think I can nail it. I think okay. I can nail it. Si se puede. Miami Total Football Radio. Hey, Charlie Bohm, ladies and gentlemen, Charlie, where Opa. can people where can people find your work if they're not already <laughs> following you? Que, que un placer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm at I'm on Twitter at c b o e h m. Uh, most of my work these days appears on mlssoccer.com and ussoccerplayers.com, and uh, and hit me up on Twitter. That's the best way for fans and readers to 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 get in touch with me, and my DMs are open as well. Awesome. That's Charlie Bohm, everybody. Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time to preview this weekend's game. We really appreciate it, and we will talk to you again very, very soon, okay? Mucho gusto, señor. <laughs> Muchas gracias a ti. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back for the Q&A session. We will do that after this. Hey guys, it's Q&A session, and we're going to make it very short because we've gone very long on this podcast. No, Jose, we will not do six questions, as you said, off the mic. We do have quite a few questions, but we're only going to answer a couple, a couple. So if, so if your question is not answered, blame it on Franco. Okay? <laughs> hey, listen, we normally try to get to as many as possible, and, and a lot of the people that have submitted questions, we normally answer their questions, but let's try to go with some some of the newer the newer question submitters for lack of a better I just, I just better thought as a, as a special treat on your birthday we would answer all the questions but okay <laughs> we can do that we can do that on your birthday how about that we'll do it on your birthday <laughs> okay first question comes from Tavo Sividanes first time putting in a question I believe and he asks or she asks will Iguain retire even before the season ends yes Tuesday's first half showed he's finished as a professional player. So I think we've touched on his overall showing. I don't think he looked great. I don't think he should be dropping back as much. I do think 
he needs to show a little bit more. Yes, he's coming back from an injury, but need to show a little bit more because it is starting to look, and it has looked for the better part of of this season, that he's essentially a retired player. He just hasn't made that announcement because he just doesn't have that much left to give, it looks like, at least physically. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. I will ask Jose to answer the next one. And he, he is from Leo Guerra. He says, what's up with uh, Ascona? Is Calendar the real deal? Um, well, Ascona, from where I know, he's, he's injured. Well, coming back from an injury, he did play with uh, Inter Miami too. Um, I, I think, you know, he can be an asset. But I, my problem with Ascona in the first team is that, you know, he needs to find a way to play effectively in the middle because through the wings – it's going to be tricky for him to find a spot and and even to find minutes um, because of what Andrea mentioned early on. So um, I think he needs to find a way to, to play through the middle. And I don't know if Phil trust him enough to put him in, in that position. And, and I don't know if there's room for there within the, the, the tactical formation that Phil is using right now. So, you know, he's in a tough position, but he's coming back from injury and he'll probably get minutes later on in the season. And then Drake, I think, you know, we, we have to wait it out a little bit. We have to wait it out. Two good games. You know, he's looking good. Um, he, he did have some mistakes as well in preseason. Uh, I don't forget about that just because of the two good games recently. So um, I'm, we're just going to give him some time. You know, if he gets more opportunities and play consistently throughout the next few months, then maybe we can start thinking about something else. But for right now, I think it's it's just a good start. I agree with you on, on Drake Callender. Is he the real deal? That's It's to be determined. It's too early to say that. Although the question's fair. Now, as for Ascona, I don't agree with you there because I don't know how many minutes he's going to get on this team with the likes of Emerson Rodriguez ahead of him, even though Emerson Rodriguez is deep on the depth chart. And Robbie Robinson and Indiana Vassilev, very lesser. I don't see him getting a whole lot of minutes on this team, which which does bring up the question as to, you know, is a loan better for him? Is a move somewhere else so he can go play consistently? Is that better for Edison Ascona? Probably, because I don't see him getting a whole lot of minutes this season with Inter Miami's first team. Yes, they have the second team, but he does get called up to the first team and is on is on the bench on occasion. So last question, and we'll go here with Andrea. And it comes from, let's see, let's see, let's see. Daniel K02. And this is a talking point that we've we've discussed here on the podcast in recent weeks. But Andrea, this this the floor is yours. Why is Gregory who sucks at doing anything up the field as an eight, while the guy who likes to shoot and is our most creative player playing as a six and is very clearly not as good positionally defensive-wise as Gregory. Please help me understand this madness. Obviously, he's referring to Gregory and Gene Mota. So, Andrea, your analysis. Well, I think it's because uh, of, of the lineup of the tactical position that Phils want the teams to play. Um, he needs uh, both players uh, in the midfielder in the midfield to to make the team stronger because if not, it would be as we say in Spanish, a pasón from the other team, and uh, uh, they would destroy Inter Miami if you don't have two players in the midfield like he likes to play. So I've I've said this point. Uh, I don't know if you touched on it there uh, specifically, but for me, I think the reason why we're seeing Gene Mota as the six as the defensive 
are occupying the spot that a defensive midfielder occupies, and Gregory as the eight, as a more advanced midfielder, more box-to-box midfielder. I think it's because they want to have someone who's more technical, Gene Mota's more technical than Gregory, to have that salida, to have that ability to build out. So they have someone to play through so that they're not always playing long balls up the field because Gregory is not of the softest touch. He's not the most delicate with the ball, right? His, his attributes are more him breaking up plays and being an enforcer. I think what Phil Neville's looking for, given that the center backs that the team has are not the most deft or don't have the most deft touches, they're looking for... Gene Mota to give him that salida, to give him that build out from the back. Yes, defensively, he's not as strong as Gregory, and Gregory's not as good in more advanced parts of the field. But I, I think that's what they're looking for. They're looking for Gene Mota to get more touches and help with the build out to try to make Inter Miami a little bit better with the ball. Do I agree with that approach? No, I don't agree with that approach. I don't think it works. But I think that's the thought process behind it. I'm trying to help you understand the madness, Daniel. Okay, and Jose, I'm not going to let you chime in there because I know you're just trying to make this a longer and longer (laughs) pod so I cannot go celebrate my birthday with a nice margarita later today. So that is it for the Q&A session. Jose, we will give our final thoughts and we will wrap up the pod after that. Ladies first, Andrea, the floor is yours. Thank you guys for having me. Um, Sorry if I don't express my thoughts as well as I do in Spanish, in English. I tried to do my best, but um, thank you for having me. It was fun talking about the team. Hopefully, uh, they can get a good run starting again against DC United. It's going to be difficult, but they have a new coach. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see that matchup. And um, hopefully, we can uh, continue to talk about the team and how they evolve and if they evolve to be better or worse. And uh, obviously, expecting a lot of questions from the fans. If you want to ask in Spanish, ask in Spanish because it's better for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I want to wish uh, Franco a happy birthday again. And hopefully, he gets to enjoy it. I've, I've enjoyed it just debating with you guys. That's been that's been fun. Uh, Let's keep going. Let's keep going. No, 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 no. But Andrea, we thank you for absolutely for coming on to the podcast. And you might have just given the listeners a little bit of a hint as to another thing we have planned. I won't go into details what it is just yet, but I'll just say that Andrea may have just tipped our hand a little bit there. She might have left a little clue as to something that we have in the works that may be coming very, very soon with regards to Miami Total Football Radio. Jose, final thought. Um, final thought is on very good news for fans, actually, because it looks like MLS is opening up locker rooms. I knew you were going to do it. Great, I knew you were going there. I knew you were going there. That's great news for the fans because you're going to be able to listen to some other players' reactions after the game. You know how you have... Well, Inter-Miami have gone through very exciting matches and some others that not so much. And sometimes you're looking for answers and you're looking for that one player that made that one mistake. You want to listen what happened. You want to listen the player explain exactly what was going on on the field. Then we might get that opportunity to talk to that player because the media should be allowed in the locker rooms. So that is great insight for the fans because we will be able to ask those questions 
because this is a league mandated rule. So hopefully that happens very soon in Inter Miami so that we can provide you guys with more insight and more information. That was my final thought. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I knew it. We'll see. We'll see if that actually ends up being the reality of, of the of the situation because even before the pandemic well, the there was, well even before the pandemic the there was pushback it. there was pushback from teams across the league well established about letting letting media into the locker room they would find creative ways to skirt that rule happened listen i've covered this league a long time i've seen all different types of things done now my final thought is on the next round of the open cup inter miami will play orlando city in the sunshine clasico the match will be played in Orlando later this month, I believe, May 24th or 25th. That's one to be excited for because not only is it the first time that these two rivals meet this season, it's also a win or go home match. And that makes every play, every pass, every shot, every mistake that much more significant. It should make for an intense, intense match on the field. But that does it for this week's show. Thank you guys so very much. Once again, for listening, I am Frank Panizo. I'm signing off as well for Jose Armando and Andrea Yanes. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. We'll talk to you guys again. Early.